tonight we're gonna dance like it's the last night in Soho of our lives. Because it's what? You want to do that again, bud? No, I don't. Okay. That was it. <laughs> Soho of our lot. It doesn't even make sense. You know, dance like it's the last night of your life, but it, this time it's the last night in Soho of your life. <laughs> okay. I'm tracking, but... You have well, made way worse jokes on this podcast. <laughs> Silence. Hey, man, you're the editor. You left him in. I did, because I want America to hear your shame. <laughs> Speaking of, who are you? Uh, well, first of all, who are we? We're America's most fashionable podcast, the pod people. You're goddamn that is right true. We are. Me? I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and it seems I've taken a bit of a tumble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets, and does anyone feel like they've been born in love wrong generation? Wow. That's a pretty name. I'm Cleveland Mosier. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> nice. Tonight, we're uh, full of that giddy good energy, because we just got back from seeing the brand new Edgar Wright horror film, Last Night in Soho, which stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Thomason McKenzie, Matt Smith, Diana Rigg, and Terrence Stamp. You know, I'm sure this joke has been made a thousand times already. But if this movie had been bad, I would have said it was last night and so-so. Mm. But it wasn't. It was great. I loved it. Adored it, even. Yeah, I, I had I had a great time with this movie. I, this is a movie that I will comfortably say off the bat I really liked most of. I'm unsure how I feel about the last 15 minutes, and I'm hoping by the end of this episode I'll have a better idea how I feel about that. Wow. Wow. Uh, but, I mean, generally, big positives all around. Um, yeah, this is this is the new Edgar Wright movie. Uh, Edgar Wright, famous for such uh, classics as... Uh, Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Well, the whole, the whole Cornetto trilogy, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End, which I never saw. I'm going um, to have a spicy take here. Hot Fuzz is by far the best of the Cornetto trilogy. Is that a hot take? And because I agree with you honestly, 100%. In my opinion, the only one really worth watching. Shaun of the Dead is good. I love Shaun of the Dead. But I, like, I like Shaun of the Dead, I think too, it's but overrated. Hot Fuzz is absolutely the best one. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. a hot take, but I agree completely. Uh, but, you know, uh, Edgar Wright also brought us such films like uh, Scott Pilgrim, which I've only seen about half of about three times. Uh, <laughs> it's dated um, hey, I, I liked Scott Pilgrim when it came out I mean I, I know people fun. I know people have a lot of love for Scott Pilgrim um it's 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 a time capsule movie for sure like yeah, it's, totally. it's it's dated but uh yeah it's what it is I don't, I don't hate on it I think Edgar Wright's last film was Baby Driver right he hasn't done anything between then and now um Baby Driver was a movie that I remember thinking was pretty good when I watched it. That's a movie that sure aged and I like... I remember nothing about it. it that's now. a movie that sure aged like sour milk, huh? With uh, Kevin, Spacey Kevin Spacey having such a large role in it. Yeah, well, you could say that about just about anything that Kevin Spacey Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I think of, like, Usual Suspects 
And I think back, and I'm like, what about, Ooh, what man, about American Beauty? Kaiser Soze is a, <laughs> sure is a pedophile. Yeah, I, would, I, would, I would say, yeah, like um, American Beauty is the one that's aged the worst out yes, of all oh, of them absolutely, by miles. Absolutely. But anywho. Uh, yeah, well, this is none of those movies. This is a new movie. <laughs> I would say, I think probably my favorite Edgar Wright film after Hot Fuzz I don't know if he'll ever be able to top that movie, but uh, I, I really liked this one. I think I like this movie more than Hot Fuzz. Wow. wow. I like Hot Fuzz. Would you I say are. it's your favorite Edgar Wright movie? Probably, yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm coming in hot. You know, I, I just we just watched it, but... Sure. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, Ooh, I it think, was good, though. I think it's really strong. I Personally, for me, I would probably put it right around the same area as Scott Pilgrim. I, I feel like they're good for different reasons, though. Scott yeah. Pilgrim is very experimental with the medium in terms of like playing with aspect ratio and styles and different things, where this movie feels like the least Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright movie. I think that's kind of why I like and it. And I think it's better <laughs> it's for like, it, because like you, it. Have, you have sprinkles of Edgar Wrightisms in mm. it. But it doesn't overpower the dish, so to speak. Yeah, this is not really a comedy at all. No, no. I mean, I think there were a couple of moments where we all kind of chuckled from, like, maybe some strange editing decisions or, like, the absurdity of something that was happening. I almost feel like the end of this movie is, like, kind of a joke. We'll we'll get to that. I'm undecided on whether it's an effective joke or not. Um, but, like... Most of this movie is like is like pretty pretty serious, but uh, very stylish. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, you can definitely clearly see Edgar Wright's influences here. Like the colors are very vibrant, you know, bright reds, Jallo esque, as you yeah. said in the car. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I'm inclined to agree. It's got the you know big red light. Yeah, and yeah. it's got similar mystery elements to a lot of Giallo movies. Yeah, and uh, I, I remember when we predicted this movie when we had very little to go on other than, like, the title. Edgar Wright was saying that it was, uh, like, heavily inspired by Repulsion, uh, which we did talk about earlier this year on the show. And, uh, I mean, hell, yeah, I saw, I, I, can, in, see in, yeah. I yeah. can see how. Yeah, I can see how. I'm glad we covered all- it. In all the best ways. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate that you picked that one, Ben. I think I think uh, having seen Repulsion really, really enhanced and elevated the experience. Uh, just so nice to catch all the little tie-ins, like the hands, the got a lot of grabby arms coming yeah, through the walls. Well, that's that's not a that's not really a subtle nod to Repulsion. No, no, but um, uh, and that's not. But like the themes of yeah, sure. like sexism and you know like the male gaze, like th- those those elements are very much so there. Yeah, I mean, the, the sort well. of, like, uh, generally, like, overwhelming, threatening presence of men, like, as a as a young woman, how that can uh, sort of drive people crazy, for lack of a, a, a better phrase, because maybe that's not the best way to put that. But uh, <laughs> the synopsis, basically, is a, uh, a young girl from the English countryside, Ellie, moves to London— to go to fashion school, she's obsessed with everything 60s, uh, and she's, 
like a medium, I guess, or something. She she sees ghosts and things that happened in the past and stuff like that. So she she starts like seeing this woman, Sandy, from the 60s and sort of like becomes her kind of or feels herself becoming her and then also gets sucked into like the bad things that happened to her. Uh, last episode, I had some qualms about the trailer giving away everything. Uh, and this is another instance where, like, we are, like, regularly blasted with the trailer. Oh, yeah. We've been yeah, seeing um, this trailer for just about every movie we've been to in the last, like, two mm-hmm. to three months. But this like go around. I the trailer around, a lot, though. The trailer, I think, does a lot in service I of the like film. I feel like it primed me for this movie really well. Agreed. And I don't feel like the trailer spoils it. No, right. not at all. Which which is surprising because the trailer is chock full of if content. Any, if anything, the trailer largely contributes to, like, the biggest red herring of the film. Yeah, which is great. Uh, which we won't spoil yet. I mean, you know, we'll get into spoilers, but, you know, we'll do our usual thing generally. Uh, this one just came out. Go check it out. Please. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, well, In theaters. We are, we are recording this on uh, Friday, the uh, October the 29th. Uh, I'm going to start doing this when new movies come out, so nobody can say that we're copying Red Letter Media, because they always put out an yeah. episode on a movie right before we do. And they can't keep getting they away with it, damn it. This. Uh, and I always feel like we have so many similar points with them, and it feels like we're ripping them off. But no. Yeah. <laughs> October 29th. The, the biggest instance, like, it was so funny to me, like, we were we sat down and recorded, like, that Halloween Kills episode. I made that point about, like, if you hit Control-F on the script, you know, for 40 years ago, you'd get, like, so many instances of it. And then, like, that Red Letter Media comes out, like, the next day, and, like, it starts with a super cut of, like, people saying 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Which, frankly, is the medium for it. Like, that shit was hilarious. Like, Any, anywho, uh, yeah. go, if you don't want spoilers, go see this one. Uh, I think the mystery is fun. Uh, this is a movie with multiple twists, one of which I called, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, if you don't want said twists spoiled, then stop listening, go see the movie, come back, and hang out with us. Yeah, if you like Repulsion, you're going to love this. Yeah, I, I think this is a this is a, a, a nice uh, sort of like modern homage to Repulsion because like it definitely hits a lot of those same notes. But it's uh, more quickly paced, uh, more like immediately engaging, um, and I think will probably hold people's attention better than than something as like slow as yeah Rebels. yeah. It has a mystery through line, and it, it is still trying to tell its it. own story. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. as well. And, and too, like the whole idea of like looking back at the '60s is cool because that's also referring back to Repulsion. Exactly. Like you know, it's looking back at that time. And, man, that's fucking neat. That's a really cool way to, you know, like, to set up your story and to to pay homage to the past and not just to do a remake. Because, like, you know, like, in the wrong director's hands, this very easily could have been, like, the inspiration to do a Repulsion remake instead. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would even say that, uh, that Anya Taylor-Joy's character looks a lot like uh Catherine Deneuve mm, in yeah. Repulsion. Um she's styled very similarly, we'll say. Yeah, and I'm sure um, that's by design. Of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's another big influence I found. Uh I, I think this kind of goes for Edgar Wright's work in general, but uh, Satoshi Kon. Uh I think I think this movie utilizes a lot of similar style transitions that Paprika does. Uh I think 
uh, especially when it comes to like waking, falling asleep, and having these really cool like incorporated shots where people move behind objects and they change people or looking at things through mirrors. It is all very reminiscent of Paprika, and I, I'm always happy to bring up yeah, Paprika. It's one of my all-time favorites. Edgar so. Wright really loves his diegetic wipes, mm. um, mm-hmm. you know, where you're kind of doing, you know, wipes of sorts, but it's with characters moving through the composition. And we get some of those. It's very toned down from, you know, excessive Edgar Wright styling. Yeah. It's no, like, Baby Driver <laughs> or Hot no. Fuzz um, or Scott Pilgrim. But, like, it works really well. And I think more so than that even, like, the sense of disorientation that comes with, like, the use of mirrors and the kind of multiplying effects of that. You know, you have yeah. these sort of hallucinogenic multiple exposure type of shots. Well, the whole the whole thing is really about mirrors and reflections, if you think about it. Wow. It's <laughs> like looking in a mirror. It, it rhymes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I say that like faux pretentiously, but I mean, yeah, it, it is like uh, mirrors are, are very thematic. I mean, the, a, a good chunk of the movie is like Ellie sort of like mirroring Sandy until she realizes that like, oh shit, uh, actually not glamorous, but at this point too far in and then mm-hmm. and, and now she's trapped. Well, well also, and also like it's how she sees her mother, her mother. Yes. And, and that too. Uh, there, are, there are several other aspects that take on the mirror theme the mirror motif, uh, you know, there, there are many elements here. Like, like mirrors are a theme. Get over it. <laughs> I don't think it's pretentious to say that. I, I think that's all right. <laughs> I think it's okay. Um, we should talk briefly about the, the connection with her mother, because um, that's kind of how they introduce, like, her otherworldly, like, supernatural connection to things. Uh, Mama. Is... Um, like right at the very beginning, like she's dancing around like in her room, like in this dress that she's made out of newspaper to like some some sixties track. The soundtrack a, is a uh, chock full of uh, of of the of the golden oldies. She loves the sixties, uh, <laughs> uh, but she she turns and looks in her mirror and she sees like a woman standing over her shoulder, which we learn just after that is her mother, and she just kind of says like. Uh, or, or Ellie says to, like, the reflection of her mother, like, it's good news, isn't it? And, like, her mom kind of smiles. And that's when her grandma comes in with, like, the letter that she's been accepted to fashion school. So uh, I, I thought that was a, a nice way to introduce that sort of, like, little element of the supernatural or, like, what, quote-unquote, what makes Ellie special. Uh, I thought it was a, a subtle enough way to do it without being like, I see ghosts. Well, the thing I like about it, too, is it is subtle enough where it doesn't overplay its hand. Right. So, you know, when Ellie is kind of losing it, so to speak, throughout the process of the movie, we, you know, we learn early in the movie that the mother had killed herself from mental instability of some sort. So you don't really completely know if it's 
schizophrenia right or mental imbalance of some sort or if what she's seeing is legitimate and i think yeah Mm -hmm. the insanity element of the story works so well because they don't shout it in your face per se it works well too because in numerous ancient cultures there are historical instances of figures with um like schizophrenia essentially and whatnot like acting as shamans and so it is kind of cool to see that utilized and and, and it to me it didn't feel oh what's the word you know it, it, it didn't it didn't feel like a pandering it didn't it didn't feel like uh it was it, it didn't treat it like a fucking x-men power either like it's yeah. very gentle uh in in its approach and uh that that really worked for me if they played it up a little bit more you know like uh her grandmother even mentioning it is almost a little much it's just yeah, I enough so too. it's just enough no more than that and it, and it doesn't it, it it really it really plays it well um yeah and and yeah we are, we are left wondering like is this a secret power you know or is this a debilitation you know like how is this going to affect like long term the outcome because we're seeing the world largely through her eyes so it's very hard to tell mm. at times yeah and well, it, uh, it really brings us to the edge and both. i and i love that turns out to be both in mm. a lot of respects and at that it's too nice. i would say like uh yeah we're 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 into the point where we can we should be spoiling and shit because like it's gonna be hard to talk about i think like the framing beyond that but uh just yeah go go see the movie don't don't let the spoilies uh get you on this one because I, I really do think like the twists and turns are so much fun to experience I, but i do i do love the the opening sorry to go back for a second but i i do really love like the opener with her like in the newspaper dress because like later on we have the sequences where she's like looking through old files she loves like um eclectic things and like even newspapers are that you know like they're they're prints of an old time and so and yeah, she, she, she has to like, like wear it in the library later yeah and like like she has to like wear it on herself like it, it it's such a, a part of her person is like like uh she really enshrouds herself like and and uses the past as almost like a shell you know like as a protective barrier and it's cool yeah i uh you're like I, wears it like armor I like the way that her obsession with the 60s is handled because I think a lesser movie would just be like, oh, she loves the 60s. Why? I don't know. Fuck you. Who cares? Yeah. But like... Corella. Kind of shit, yeah. Because she needs to for the plot. But this, like, they, they do the right kind of, like, world building so that it doesn't feel like this like 18 year old girl in in like 2020 is obsessed with the 60s for no reason it's because like her mother died when she was like seven she was raised by her grandmother her grandmother was playing a lot of like 60s music in the house and stuff like she used that as like a as like a comfort thing her mother like was trying to be a fashion designer too in London. So there's there's the nice little connections that like it's as you say like she's like protected by the past. She uses mm-hmm. like a shell. And most of the movie is about her sort of horrifying realization that the 60s were not as glamorous as she imagines them to be. Yeah, which like, is wonderful. Cuz like she she says when she when she moves into like the the when she moves out of the dorms and into like the boarding house um like she's like if i could live in any decade it would be right here in london in the, the 60s. 60s. Yeah, uh, so like whimsical and it's like she like very quickly realized like nope 
No, I I love her voice too. Like like that actress, she has um like uh such a faint kind of timid sound, but it's also a little smoky. It just it sounds like a cartoon mouse, and like it's great. Like I really, a I really cartoon mouse is a good way to put it. Yeah. Like, you know, like and it, it's really um she's good. Yeah, uh, and, and, it, and it really immediately like has you concerned for her. Like like I was I was always like worried about her character. She's very know, as, as, she's as very wi- yeah she's very wide eyed and innocent and naive and and believably and, so and and optim- earnest and uh, yeah like, earnest and optimistic. And uh, I mean, it is kind of sad to see the way that that optimism gets pretty quickly crushed, like living in the the cesspool of London. And I love it, too, because like her first experience going into London is a sleazy encounter. But she also knows how to be smart, you know, like like we see her. And again, like I I, I harp on this a lot, uh, you know, because like a lot of movies miss this. But. She, even with her being like a, I said, like a like a you know even sounded like a like an innocent mouse and kind of like wide eyed as, as she's going into the city, they don't play up the whole like innocent girl going to the city cliche in in the ways that you would expect. Um, like like all of her revelations come largely from her visions. Um, her real life experiences in her actions are usually smart. When she's in the cab with the guy and like he makes a comment about her leg, she's like, okay, I'm getting out here. She knows to like get out of that situation and like and then she goes into the shop, which is clever and like, you know, like watches until the cab driver leaves. She does know how to take care of herself and to like be wise like like there that does show like display like wisdom as a character. And for me, like it uh, it really like helped again, like wrote me in and like make me feel like concerned and attached for this character because they they clearly care about their well-being, too. And again, like so many horror movies get that wrong where like the characters make like dumb decisions for whatever reason. And it's it I usually tend to find it obnoxious. Um, and so right off the bat, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for this character. That scene really did it for me. In well, that respect. Yeah, they play up her making logical decisions, but they also play up kind of the cruelty of the city, right? When she moves in, you know, when yeah. she goes to the dorms and her... Uh, her roommate sucks. Yeah, her roommate is the worst. Oh, yeah. because um, <laughs> jo- Jocasta. Yeah, Jocasta, whatever her last name is, because she's X'd out, X'd out in the door because she just wants to be one name. She wants to be a mononym. Like, oh, like what a great way something. to just yeah. immediately clock someone for who they are. Great. Yeah. Love that. Believably so, too. I've definitely met that person more than a once. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's that. Like, like, Jocasta's the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've like, all met a Jocasta in our day. They're, they're having having a conversation getting to know each other and jocasta asks about her mom and you know she says uh my mom died and she's like mine too and it's like finally we have something in common we're we're part of the dead mommies club or what that's what she says to the other girls like in the next yeah scene. Mm. yeah it was like it's like yeah leukemia sucks huh and uh then everyone's like oh ellie how did your mom die and she's like uh she killed herself and then joe cast is like oh yeah i had a great uncle who killed himself too so i know exactly how well it's it's all about competition yeah right because earlier she's talking about i'm also sober her her mom killed her or died when she was 15 yeah versus uh you know our main character's mom dying when she was seven that must have been easier i love how this movie looks at sympathy 
in particular, like in this sequence, like, yeah, where, where she she pulls the things like, oh, yeah, I had a great uncle or whatever. Like, I know how you're feeling. Let's put a pin in that for later. Like when she says that, because that comes up again, there's a that, that ripples in the coolest way, I think. I really like how they kind of use the the city of London to like start beating Ellie down. Um, but what I'm something that I'm very grateful for uh, is I was sort of going back to like the 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 naive like girl from the country coming to the city with like big dreams and whatever. I was terrified she was going to get raped in like the first Oof. 30 minutes of this. No, movie. no, 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 no. Like no. I, Fuck I that. was, uh, thankfully the, the movie does not do that, but it's like that, that is especially with like the cab driver, like being sleazy towards her and like some other encounters that she has with men who are like, you know, being, uh, not, not super chill. I was like, Oh, please don't make us watch this character get raped. You know, like I had a, I had a response when you like, you, you first said that, but like thinking about it, I can absolutely see why you would think the yeah. movie would go in that direction because like, again, having watched the trailer, you know, it's about her having visions, other an, stuff. An it's repulsion inspired. An edgier filmmaker probably would have. Yeah. Would have think, Christ, it didn't. Oh, that would have been awful. Um, yeah. well, awful. It's, no, it's, thank you. It's and like maybe in a different movie, like okay, but like it's not necessary in this movie. Like the real trauma that she's experiencing is living through Sandy's trauma in her dreams. Yeah, you know, like that. That is like that is horrible enough. You know, like we don't need to be there there to be like that much of a mirror like we she doesn't need to like have the same things happen to her i'm really glad that that uh that that does not happen well i think it, it would have almost been anth- antithetical to the whole uh thesis of the film or uh to put that like a normal fucking person it would have been contrary to the the point of the to movie the point of the damn movie yeah it would have been against the point of the movie there we go god i need to start talking like a normal fucking human all right anyway uh, <laughs> she gets uh, set up at fashion school and she can't get a night's sleep. No, well, I mean, she moves out almost immediately because her roommate sucks. Yeah, and um, they're always partying. And I do like the bit. I mean, see, this is what I mean, like about like not a not a single fucking bit of fat on this movie. She gets away from the cab driver. She goes in and she has to buy a can of a Coke because uh, she has to be in the shop for some reason, you know, other than just like waiting, you know, cause she can't be loitering. So she gets the can of Coke. And then it's introduced, like, in that same scene where they're talking about, like, oh, my uncle died, too, or whatever. We're introduced to the fridge, which has, like, everyone's name written on it because it's a fucking college dorm. Right. And so, like, she writes uh, – the the person, like, writes her name on the Coke can, puts it in there. They're partying later, and um, we're introduced to a uh, boyfriend guy. What's his name? John? Yeah, John. 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 Okay, cool. Good. The, yeah, the look yeah. on your face is they very funny. His, they say his name like twice, like later in the movie. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Or Let's no, go. he he she, doesn't he does introduce himself. Yeah. yeah, and he does introduce himself to her in that scene. I forgot about that. Cool. Let's go, John. Um, the one nice guy in the whole movie. Movie. Yeah. Well, there's got to be one, right? Because uh, not all men. I, I mean. It's nice to get a little variety. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's, their relationship is kind of sweet. It, I think it is. I I really liked it. Um, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's a little tropey, it, but uh, it's, it is it's sweet. But frankly, like 
when all of the other horrible things are going on, I found the tropiness of it to nice, be like nice safe. To have, nice to have a couple of nice things happen to her. Yeah, like well, it's like it's kind of a safe place to come back to in the film. Like after all the horrible events, like it's like a grounding mechanism. Yeah, and yeah. and frankly too, like because this character does act as that's actually a really great way to put it. Like like as like her grounding point, mm-hmm. um, as the person who does have her back. Um, and we know that as the audience, like, like he is a person who is, is of sound mind and he cares about her. You really do need to ramp that up and you need to set that up almost in a cliche way, like to, to really bring that Man, across. I had, I had another moment of fear, a similar moment of fear at like the Halloween party scene, like after, or, or like during the Halloween party scene where like Jocasta like hands them the drinks or whatever. And you think, okay, it's gotta be like roofied or something. And I was like, that's a great like, red herring. I was like, oh, it is a good red herring because mm-hmm. they don't actually get roofied, which mm-hmm. I like. But it's still but called was, back to, which is I was, cool. What I was waiting for, like, I had another moment of fear in that scene where I was like, oh, man, John has been awfully nice to her this whole movie. This sure would be the time for him to date rape her, wouldn't it? Oh, no. And thankfully they thank god thankfully again they did not do that Mm. but uh i've i've seen these types of movies too many times where they do these things over and over and i know yeah god yeah well like every fucking like time we'd like pull up a bad movie on bad movie night like like they're oh there goes another rape scene okay folks just gotta have that shit in there i guess like i hate it so no it's always refreshing for me and he's introduced to us by the Coke can at the party. We see him drinking out of the can. He says, oh, shit, this is yours because he introduces himself. Yeah. Um, and uh, and, and he, he has a fun, a really cute redemption where he gets her a Coke can of Coke, you know, later mm-hmm. on. Like he, he feels the need to do that. And the fact that like his character was drunk and still remembered that shit and like managed to do that the next day is really heartwarming and endearing. Like I, I, I found that like to be like really like really mm-hmm. sweet. Um, and, and two, his character is, uh, and I think, I think this is also important. Um, his character is not just like stoic, kind guy or whatever. It is kind of a nice guy. He does have kind of like a nice guy sort of vibe in that he's, he's, he's a little timid, you know, he's a little uncertain. Like his his social ability isn't like, like, or his confidence like isn't very high. And there's a scene later where he says something along the lines of like, I know what it's like to be like isolated or whatever. I really liked that his character was like that because he's also black and you can kind of see like how he's not necessarily making that about race, you know, or whatever else like that. It's just like, yo, like I'm because you just know this guy was bullied in school. You know what I mean? Like, sure. you just know. So it it, it worked well for me because, like, uh, a lesser like writer what or whatever, like would have just left it at being like a like a racial trope there but instead like you can really read into that however you know like which just makes it a little more nuanced uh gives it a little more life i appreciated that uh because it could really go anyway it, it could still mean that but like doesn't have to it's just cool yeah i mean his character is well developed and well done like you said he's it's a little tropey just because it kind of hits standard beats but it's also a way to avoid you know, a repulsion-esque complete fall into madness. Like, he's essentially following her around throughout the movie, you know, bringing her her stuff after she runs away. Has, like, a manic episode and leaves it behind or something. Stops stops her from stabbing someone with Also, like, yeah, she... 
she could have gotten him killed like after the halloween sequence like Mm. that shit like could have gone really really south for him and even still the next day like he's caring and he and he uh, you know and he he comes back again and i love that that was the thing like that's what i expected is like when she goes into class the next day I expected uh, him the usual to be, tropey scene him to be like like she she looks over at him and he like turns away and yeah. like, turns his back on her it's like crazy bitch or something because mm-hmm. I mean essentially what happens is after the Halloween yeah. party like she's had a lot of like pretty unpleasant dreams by this point and like wants some company she doesn't want to sleep so she like tries to bring him back to to her place to to bang him. And uh, as they're as they're like making out, then she has like a a, a waking vision where she sees like Sandy being murdered mm-hmm. um, and freaks the fuck out. Uh, and uh, the the old lady who rents the the place out like comes in and she's not supposed to have like male guests after eight p.m. and she's you know I'm gonna call the cops and so it's like oh shit like young black guy. Like he's fucked uh, with he's a, with fucked. A, like a yeah. girl like on the floor in a bedroom like screaming to like get off of me doesn't look like good like, no it doesn't yeah her nightmare suddenly becomes great. his very real nightmare yeah. and uh, oh I love it too because like it's not she doesn't just bring him back to her place for that specifically like she's also like desperate to find any means to not fall asleep yeah yeah, yeah for sure for in, sure. in uh, nightmare on Elm Street fashion yeah uh, yeah she's she's trying I mean, real she, hard to stay she awake does, she does like him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they, they do have some, some romantic chemistry. So yeah, like it's it a win-win two, yeah, exactly. two birds, one scone. Uh, now to backpedal a little bit, uh, oh, yeah. she, she feels the need. Yeah. After the Coke can sequence, I just, I just really wanted to like, like bring out like how, I mean, it's also stupid. I'm praising it so much because it's also like really obvious Coke yeah, like product really- placement, but I do really like how it is utilized so well in the plot. Edgar um, Wright ha- does a good job of bringing in details like that. And having callbacks to minor details, that's a very mm-hmm. rightism, I would yeah, say, sure. mm-hmm. um, throughout his films. And also using product placement directly with, you know, Cornetto ice cream. Hey, you, you gotta you gotta pay for all those incredible superimposing shots somehow, right? Like, <laughs> like all those incredible mirror shots, you know, with like multiple people like walking through them. You gotta throw a fucking sponsor in yeah. somewhere, right? Like Jesus Christ! The, the most blatant you gotta pay one for that shit. was uh, when she's bartending and talking to John. And it's almost like a split diopter where, like, half of the screen is just Coors Light. <laughs> Bro, Coors does that shit, man. Like, every time I every time I rewatch uh, Always Sunny, like, there's a turning point. I think it happens in, like, four or five seasons in where they very obviously got a Coors sponsorship. Because, like, just all of a sudden, like, shots of the bar just, like, dominated with, like, Coors signs. And they'll be like, hey, can you hand me an ice cold Coors and it's like it's like Jesus Christ Coors so Coors be doing that well okay well like in that case it's gotta be like part of like the sponsorship deal right like it has to be like the Coors can has to be like taking up this much of the frame for X sure. amount of time. Like that's totally. gotta be it. Yeah. Absolutely. Which, which you know like is is not uncommon from what I understand. But I mean also like in a case like this, like, it doesn't bother me too much because, like, they are in a bar and, like, 
it's organic. It that, always feels that, organic. That shit, and like same with the like, cocaine. If, you, if you've ever yeah. been, if you've ever been to any kind of like divey bar, they always have like big neon Coors signs and shit. Like Coors reps come to bars and hand that shit out like fucking candy, man. <laughs> like they want their shit plastered all over the place. And now we've spent a good three minutes of our podcast talking about Coors. <laughs> hey, are you look worried? At look at what's happened. Are you worried about a skeezy cab driver? Just grab a Coke. <laughs> Are you thirsty for a D-tier beer? <laughs> grab a nice cold Coors Man, I, Light. I would put Coors way lower than D-tier. <laughs> <laughs> I put it way lower than D-tier and, and then like drink steel, one. And I like Steel Reserve and Old English. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy. Ooh, buddy. Okay, anyway. The, the nostalgia for the college yeah, days. There we go. That's that's our sponsor, our fake sponsor for the episode. I mean, real, very real, tangible sponsor for the episode. Uh, so <laughs> after, the price is right. The price Price is right. Um, uh, and really, any price. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we're not testing. Yeah, we talk. We talk for five minutes about Coors and then call it a below D tier <laughs> beer. Thanks, Coors. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, watered down. We we love to drink your watered down piss on this show. <laughs> We love it. Uh, fucking hell! Let's, we need to. We need to Edgar write this ship. Um, see what I did Ooh, here. love uh, it! Love nice. it! That Big was, fan. That one was for you, buddy. Thank you. Um, I appreciated it. Uh, well, we've we've talked Edgar a lot. Write this ship. <laughs> we've talked a lot about uh, like Ellie and like the the present day stuff. I think I think we should definitely start getting into like the, the past day the stuff, past day yeah. stuff. <laughs> the, the last night, stuff. the last, so, the last Soho. Night stuff. Yeah. Soho to speak. Um, yes. Uh, so she's tired. She finds a new apartment uh, yes. or she goes off to find a new apartment. We uh, there's a mention that she has a loan or something like and that's how she's been getting by a little bit. Not surprised to hear that considering like what happened with her mom. Maybe it's like a welfare thing, um, which is cool. I, I like that it's kind of in the background, but lightly explained because it didn't need to be like I was wondering that it's like, OK, she's going to get her own place. But like she just moved here. She's a college student in London. Like yeah. London's well, not that's cheap. The reason she got a job. Yes. Well, she gets a job on top of that, too, because she buys a 350 mm, but- pound white leather coat. <laughs> that's when that's when she decides to get the, the job. job. That's yeah. the thing is, it's not when she gets the apartment. And uh, and, and I like that because uh, it does. Excuse me. It does need both. I think for the sake of realism and practicality, like like you'd have the loan, you'd have some buffer, but also, oh, yeah, well, I should probably be thinking yeah. about the future. And it makes her seem smart. And also, too, it it keeps the character from feeling entitled. Um, if she had just been riding on the loan, she would have very much so felt entitled, I think. Yeah. Like, it would have been like, oh, okay, well, like, money's not a problem for her. Great. One more reason for me to not really, like, feel empathetic towards this character. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, she's... She's thinking about her future. She's she's being smart about it, and she's and she's happy to work anywhere. And so she gets her job at the toucan, which is really nice. Like I, I love all of that. So anyway, she gets her place, and that's when she starts sleeping and having dreams. Yeah. Um, the first one is is you know is lovely. It's it's glamorous. I mean, she. Well, I should say she doesn't start sleeping when she gets there. She's a normal human being. She's been sleeping no, throughout the rest that's of the her life. The first time in her life she's ever done a sleep. Right there and, there. and when the second she, she opens the door, I swear to God, the English language. Yeah, uh, it's the best thing we've got. She but. goes she goes into a sleep oh. and she turns into Anya Taylor Joy, and that's why she's never slept before. Man, I wish I could turn into Anya Taylor Joy when I slept. Uh, I don't know what that means. Don't read into that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you you also have 
beautiful, flowing blonde hair. I do. Thank, thank uh, you for noticing. <laughs> um, yeah, she that first night there in that uh, in that apartment, she has this very wonderful, glamorous dream slash vision about this uh, this young woman in the sixties, Sandy, who uh, tries to go to the the Cafe de Paris to uh, she wants to become their star attraction. She wants to sing and dance, and uh, she gets uh, involved with this sort of uh, suave guy who says he's a manager. Uh, played by Matt Smith, who does a great job in he this movie. Does uh, I? I like to see Matt Smith in things because uh, I don't watch Doctor Who anymore. <laughs> but I did. I did really like him back in the day on Doctor Who, and I don't want to watch Doctor Who anymore. I mean, I know he's also on. Um, oh, what's that show? The Crown. He plays Prince Philip or Prince Charles, whichever one just died recently. Um, <laughs> but I don't watch monarchist propaganda, so uh, <laughs> I was I was I was pleased to see uh, Matt Smith in something that I actually did want to watch. Yeah, well, he's going to be in the Game of Thrones, whatnot. They got him in a big old white wig. Yeah, he sure is, huh? Yeah, our uh, our gnome faced looking boy. And I don't uh, know if you I don't know if you caught it. He's also going to be in Morbius. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a is a detective. As a detective. What so. a weird cast, by the way. Not <laughs> right. to go on a tangent. We'll talk well, about that movie later. Yeah. Yeah. Morbius. Yeah. Uh, fucking Morbius. Anyway. But the cast in this is great, and Matt yes. Smith is a great addition to it. Indeed. Uh, He's always been great. I, uh, I, I think he had he had one of the hardest times, like as an actor. Like I don't I don't think there is a harder act to follow than David Tennant. Like if we're being real, in like any capacity, like. David Tennant is like such like a fucking powerhouse like of an actor and and just is, it just like oozes charisma. He is, but I mean, I think Matt Smith did well enough. That's what I'm saying. Like, he, that, he, like he, that's that's not an easy act to follow, and he did it. I like, like I, I have not given a shit about Doctor Who in ten years. Same, but uh, I I feel like of like the new generation that started with like Christopher Eccleston. I think Matt Smith is, like, the second most beloved after David Tennant. Easily. Like, and, and, I mean, uh, uh, spicy take, I've never thought Doctor Who was good, but, like... It's never been I, good. I mean, it's not. Okay, so, so here's the thing. thing. It's, it's not it was, good. I thought it was good when I was a teenager. It's I was fun. Wrong, but. It's, it's fun for all the same reasons that, like, some comic book shit is fun. It's it's cheap. It, well, it used to be. Like, it, it, it's, it, you know, in its origin, it was cheap, and, yeah, we're really going on a tangent now, but, like... The, the weird thing to me is, like... It, it's it's timey-wimey no silly in shit. the game on any of that shit. I'm that not shit a Doctor is Who always defender. No. dumb as hell to me. Oh, it but, definitely uh, is. That's the fun. But, like... Low stakes. I feel like David Tennant hasn't really had a career after Doctor Who, where Matt Smith has been in a few different things. And, like, again, he... Matt Smith was great in this movie. I think he brought kind of a goblin esque menace I, to the character. I, I hate to I hate to go to bat for a Marvel, but like David Tennant fucking killed it in Jessica Jones. Yeah, like uh, he's the villain and he's uh, he's he's extremely good in it. Yeah, like gotcha. fucking terrifying. I feel like Would David Tennant has know. been in some stuff, but not like a bun- not much stuff that's made it over to the U.S. Yeah, um, he's he's mostly done like uh uh yeah. There's a there's a crime series that he's he's been a part of for a number of years now. Uh, as well, and I cannot remember the name of it. Um, but it's it's the uh, the actress from from 
Peep Show and that Mitchell and Webb look. I can't remember her name. She's she's a really good comedian. Uh, man, I don't know enough about. But British it's it's television her and David Tennant, if I remember correctly. Pembership. Uh, yeah, well, Whitechapel, Shire. like something like that. Yeah, yeah. The the Adventures of uh, Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. Yeah. Pembley Dumpster. Yeah, this is a skit from that. This is a skit from that Mitchell and Webb look. It's yeah, the Adventures of Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. <laughs> shit, um, still funny to me. Anyway, but last yeah, night in uh, Soho, David Tennant, I mean, not David Tennant, Matt Smith, <laughs> good. <laughs> he's good in this, and uh, I, I think he's, uh, like, I think he's, like, suitably menacing. Yeah, like, um, he has the kind of, he has, let's be frank, Matt Smith is kind of a weird-looking dude. He's, he's kind of a gnome-looking guy, dude. like I was yeah. saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he looks like, like a gnome. He's, like, handsome in, like, a very unconventional he way. He looks like you know a I handsome think. gnome. No, 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 I, you, know, you know what he is? He is the perfect cat casting for a sexy hobbit like you know what i mean because like peter and i say that not like as an i fight think hobbits are sexy but like he's too tall to be a hobbit what are you talking about like 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 the hobbits are all like normal height actors what i'm saying is like <laughs> like, like, like what the fuck what i'm what i'm getting at is like peter jackson had the, had had a weird habit of like casting like particularly sexy a- actors as like hobbits and dwarves and um uh, i i think that matt smith would have fallen in line with all of those mm. well uh yeah i'm in, tired in, in, in this now. movie he's kind of like a uh He's kind of like a, a, a sleazy, uh, like, uh, 60s chav kind of guy. Yeah, well, they introduced the character as a sort of talent manager. Yes. For, you know, singers and dancers at these... In, in the club scene. Clubs yeah. and bars. And it quickly, you know, becomes clear that he... Surprise, surprise. ...is a pimp. Well, He's you know, a fucking pimp. They don't, they don't do it too quickly, though. Like, we get, like, two sequences, like, two different dreams, like, like with uh, a daytime scene in between, where we're led to believe that he is an skeezy guy. I mean, no, like, well, having seen the trailer, like, I think you can kind of go in reading that, but, like, uh, I, we do get, we do get, an, like, a decent amount of, like, padding in time where, film, like, yeah, he seems like a good present, guy. The film presents it as such, but, like, I mean, it just felt, it just felt very real to me. I feel like, like the that. jump between the second and the third dream is pretty drastic, though. In a lot of ways, like he brings her to an audition, and the next thing we see is him demanding. Well, no, her. him bringing it to an audition was the second dream. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Between yeah. the second and the third, third dream. dream. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, into the third dream. Yes, yeah. but what I'm saying is like that's that's two dreams. Yes, like, yes. um, like where he's a good guy, which is more than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I think you can like for sure the trailer gives some stuff away, but also like when a young woman at a club like wants to be their star attraction and the bartender's like, you should talk to that guy. He manages uh, uh, all kinds of girls. It's like, uh oh. Pimp, yeah. like it's it's not sure. it's it's not it's not stretched. But yes, the way the film presents it is like it doesn't it doesn't like sour on him too quickly. There is a, there is a pretty abrupt jump between the second and third dream, but one that I I think doesn't feel too abrupt. It feels right because in the second one, Edgar Wright even it feels Edgar Wright in the second one. Uh, he gets her an audition at uh, at the Rialto. And, uh, you know, she sings. She does an, an acapella version of, uh, downtown. of the Patula Clark Something, downtown. Yeah, you uh, go downtown. 
And, you know, then it ends with them, like, outside uh, kissing uh, in front of the the very same store where uh, Ellie then buys her extremely expensive white leather coat. Um, But uh, then, yeah, the next dream is, like, it starts with Ellie, like, going into the Rialto and, like, the lights coming down and the curtain coming up and she thinks she's about to see Sandy performing and being super glamorous. And surprise, surprise, it's another woman performing with a bunch of, like, burlesque dancers, of which Sandy is one of them. And then it's like, okay, yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Which which is great, just because, like, there's a degree of realism there. Like, you feel, I felt, like, ensnared like Sandy was. Like, like, uh, while watching it uh, uh, play out. And it makes uh, Sandy's character also feel, like, very believable, like, uh, and, and relatable. I felt ensnared, too. You know, while watching it, like it, it, it's really well done. Yeah, like, it's very effective. Well, I, I think the change between the second and the third dream is very abrupt and dramatic. It works to the mm. effect of it pulls the rug out from under Ellie in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, she just like Sandy is very starry eyed about the situation in the 60s. Yep. And suddenly, you know, right after she has prepared Sandy's original dress. Um, she's she's dyed and cut her hair to match like Sandy's yeah. cut. Like she's she's already projecting Sandy onto herself. And much like Sandy, by the time she realizes something is wrong, it's too late. Yeah. And I I think that that is uh I, I liked that. I liked how it, it it, it doesn't sort of like slowly devolve, like it abruptly devolves. It's yeah. abrupt and it works. Yeah. Because, you know, the rug is really pulled it's, out. Yeah, it's it's jarring in, like, a good way. Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, well, shit. That's, that's how those realizations come about, too. Like, when you feel like you're, in, you're ensnared. As, you don't as, realize right until the last moment. And as soon as, like, Sandy realizes what's happened, like, then the glitz and glamour of everything, like, drops away. And, like, she, after her performance, like, she's backstage and she's, like, looking in every door and seeing some other form it's like some different form of like misery or debauchery or abuse happening to like all of the other women who look at this club. i like, love that yeah, sequence yeah. by the way like when every room has like something else skeezy happening in it it yeah. really feels like we're catching a a, a series of visions like like we're, we're not seeing sandy walk down one hall and seeing all these things in each room we're seeing sandy having walked down this hall hundreds of times and seeing these things over time yeah, it it feels like uh, you you really feel like there's like a long progression of time in that one hallway. Dreams, um, it's shining esque, uh, even the dreams in general are done very well in this movie. They ride the perfect line, I think, between <clears throat> realism and surrealism. Like they're grounded in the moments that they need to be, but when they don't like they transition like very smoothly into like other set pieces and like have that very uh have like they follow dream logic where you're in one place and then all of a sudden you're in another right and 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 again like yeah fucking paprika nailed that shit and it's it's really nice to see that again like she's trying to stay awake and then she's just there Mm. um you know like it's it's a it's an easy transition there's no like moment where you just like flick a switch and you're suddenly dreaming you know and you flick a switch and you're awake like uh it's it's always a gradual shift and 
God, it works for me. It works so well for me. I, and, uh, and like the yeah. and like the repetition too, because like after that, then we you know gradually, or not super gradually, but over the course of the next several like dream sequences, see that like Jack is just straight up like pimping Sandy out to like all of these various men, and that's when like the presence of like the ghosts starts to sort of enter on the film and they're like these sort of like gray faceless men um maybe it was just because i was in doctor who mode a little <laughs> bit from from matt smith but they they remind they reminded me a, bit, a little bit of uh of the silence from from doctor the who. silence will fall the, fuck i'd forgotten about that yeah. until you brought it up they reminded me a little bit of the it follows creature yes yeah, that's of, what i was yeah. thinking of yeah i totally agree uh they're um, like the sort of like indistinct uh like face faces mm-hmm. but they're uh, they're they're indistinct because they have multiple faces tracked over each other well, yeah because that's, that's like the repetition like ellie is seeing that in the dream too like as she looks into like the mirror every time like the the neon light outside flashes she's seeing sandy in like a different like lingerie outfit being and, pimped like, to someone and, else like, the, the ghostly figure like approaching the bed is continually with each flash changing from like one sort of faceless man to another and it's like you're you're really getting that like repetition just like how many times this is happening over and over and over again like this this horrible cycle that uh she's getting trapped in um it's it's mortifying i mean truly meanwhile in the present day in her waking life she has started to see this uh elderly man around the neighborhood who she uh believes to be jack and guess who it is it's Malcolm McDowell showing up for a performance again. It is not. It is Terrence Stamp. It's it's not Malcolm McDowell. It's it's a guy who God, he looks at and sounds a lot like it Malcolm McDowell. Terrence, he looked Terrence, that much put, like Malcolm. Fuck. McDowell. Oh my god. You know, put leave some, it in. I, I don't put care. Some hey. Respect. Sometimes sometimes a person could be wrong and, uh, <laughs> and and get and get shit whatever. This is like you know, like we're a podcast of some boys like talking about things. I do not claim to be an expert in Malcolm McDowell. Put some respect. <laughs> put some respect on Terrence Stamp's name. Uh, he is uh, not as much That's of a that- star as as Malcolm McDowell, but okay. So Malcolm McDowell isn't putting in work. Is is uh, the really no. the damn? No, he's old. Maybe. It's okay. He, he he's old. It's fine. Uh, I think the didn't the the Rob Zombie Halloween movies make him retire from acting? I think so. I think so. Wait, he's he's Doctor Loomis in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. He? Yeah, he's he's the the Donald oh. Pleasant stand-in. Well, he's he. he he also had that cameo in that really bad Silent Hill sequel. Mm. Okay, maybe that was after Halloween. Anyway, yeah. um, Terrence Stamp is is the is the old man in this, and I feel uh, bad. <laughs> Terrence Stamp is great. He's a, a a character actor. He's not been in like a lot of famous, like really big famous things, but he's he's had a lot of a, a long storied career, and I love him because he is very. He's always so sinister, uh, and he's uh, he's great in this movie. I love him. Wait, what else has he been in? Because uh, he's, he's been in things I've seen. This is like I'm. I'm just slowly realizing. Wait, this man is not Malcolm McDowell, and I'm <laughs> Superman too. 
Yes, he's General Zod in Superman. I haven't seen Superman too. That's probably like the biggest one of his bigger roles. Um, This is this is like a terrible poll to say like what he's been. I've seen him in like relatively recent things, like last five years. I the first time I remember like noticing him as an actor is when I was little, and he was the. Such a bad pull. He's, do it, do he's it. The, he's the evil butler in the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie. <laughs> oh, shit! Yeah. Oh, such, wow. Such a bad pull, such a bad pull. But my dad took me My dad took me to see that. And I also saw that movie in theaters, goddamn. My dad took me to see that in the theater, and afterwards he was talking about how much he likes Terrence Stamp in some other... Uh, a, a much older film, I think, called The Butterfly Catcher that I've never seen, where he's like a serial killer. Oh, I'm quite familiar um, with that film. I haven't seen it, but I, I do know uh, I do know that movie. Yeah. yeah um, I've been to watch that one, actually, recently. Yeah, he was also oh, sure. okay. uh, recently in an episode of His Dark Materials, I guess. Yeah, he's one of oh, the... Oh, yeah, no, he's the guy. He's the guy with the subtle knife. DC. Yes, he is. He's the guy with the subtle uh, knife in his yeah. dark. That's what I was thinking of. Thank you. That that was it. That's I was right. thinking like yeah, in the last like like that. recently, like last year or two. Yeah, that's the he one. Is, he's the guy with the subtle knife. Um, he is the guy with the subtle knife. Yeah. He's really good in this movie. Um, he's great. Very uh, very sinister, but believably so. Because yeah. like the 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 sinister qualities are kind of projected onto him. Yeah, absolutely. Which is neat. Well, I mean, like he he certainly doesn't do anything to help that, but uh, he yeah, like she does she does see him and is like, oh, that's him. Like that's that's Jack. You know, from all these years, he's still hanging out in the same neighborhood. He's still going to the same places. Well, and because like the people who see him is like, oh yeah, that uh, he's he's a ladies man. You know, like he knows all he he knew all the girls around here back in the day so uh like i mean the the movie absolutely uh sets you up for that uh i mean we're kind of burying the lead here um, <laughs> but uh i mean that that does end up being like one of the major twists of the film is that he's actually just some old guy. <laughs> yeah, I love the reveal. I I love I love yeah. that twist mm-hmm. actually. Well, cuz there's so many shots of Ellie like running out into traffic and like cars stopping at the last moment. Like we're regularly primed for that. Yeah. And then well, she she has she has a sort of like breakdown and ends up at the bar where she works and he's like downstairs in the basement bar where she tends and she decides like I'm going to get you on tape. I'm going to get you to admit she, that you killed somebody. Yeah, she she appears an hour late to her shift and she goes down to the basement bar where she works and the song Eloise is playing yes, and he's is- the only person in the bar. Which adds such a nice, on, creepy yeah, effect. He put it on the jukebox, uh, and yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he's being super fucking creepy, and you know, she. But, but it's funny because if, yeah, oh sorry, I'll let you finish your bit though. Well, she she starts like an audio recording on her phone because like she's been to the police at this point and been like, I witnessed a murder that happened seventy years ago, you know, uh, or fifty years ago, whatever. So she she decides like I'm gonna. I'm going to goad him into confessing to, like, murdering Sandy um, and then, you know, take that to the police. And, I mean, he is being kind of creepy about it. I mean, he does. Here's the thing. It is always, like, once we know who he is, 
that's always been his job is to like look out for people in that respect. And when you know that as who he is, all that all that feels believable to me. He used to be like a fucking vice agent, you know, like like that was his job. Yeah, so well, and we get the wonderful callback because uh, you know in Sandy's experience, uh, we see her, you know, talk to all these different men. And each one, she's giving a different name, and they're giving the same response. That's oh, that's a, a lovely name. That's a yeah. lovely name. And one of the final times she says it, she says her name is Alex. And uh, the guy stops her and says, no, but what's really your name? Yeah, what's your real name? Um, and uh, it turns out that was him. Well, yeah, she, she, says, she says to him, she's like, you seem like you're a cop. And he's like, oh, do I? And it's basically like, he, he he basically tries to tell her is like, I mean, he's not, he doesn't seem like super compassionate about her or anything. Like he's kind of condescending about it, but he's like, you know, you're better than this and you should get out of it. Like get out while you still can. But it turns out like that is, that is who Terrence Stamp is, is he's mm. the, he's the cop who she spoke to. What a great twist. All those, yeah. All those years ago. I did not see that coming. At all. No, I didn't either. No, I didn't. Yeah. Well, and and well, like we were talking, I was so ready for this whole movie to be like her and him facing off in some capacity. I thought, well, I mean, the tr- the trailer sets you up for that. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, straight up, like in the trailer, like the we have the voiceover. Well, I mean, they have they have that that's like overlay where it like goes from Matt Smith's face like to. Terrence Stamp's face. It's yeah. like the movie is setting the the, the cheeky, trailer. Cheeky. Yeah, the, the trailer straight up tells you is like this is him when he's old. He's still around. And the great line from the trailer that I still loved in the movie is she's like, it's like I know what you did. And he's like, I've done lots of things. You're gonna have to be more, more specific, specific, love. Uh, yeah, it's a, a really a great line. Very very sinister. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the the reveal is so good because like she kind of chases him out of the bar, like be like, I'm gonna tell the cops i'm gonna tell the cops he's like fucking do it then whatever and he walks out into the street and gets run over by a cab yeah (laughs) and then like he's like lying there on the so unexpected too like on on the ground like with his head like half caved in like bleeding <laughs> and like the owner of the bar comes out and she's like oh no poor leslie <laughs> and ellie's like wait leslie i wait is that is his name not jack she's like no that's leslie Lindsay. Lindsay. that's right Lindsay. was it Lindsay yeah, or leslie is Lindsay. Whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It was a woman's name. Yeah. Uh, it's like, that's that's Lindsay or Leslie. He used to be a cop. He used to be vice. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, that That was a, a, genuinely, yeah. well, a genuinely fun twist. I love it, too, because, like, when that scene, like, after that scene occurred, like, it left me in a moment where I said, wait, but if not him, who is? Because, you know, like, like if this is, like, a proper noir, like, if this is, like, a proper whodunit, we need to have a who who's done it. So like it, it left me like really in the lurch saying like, OK, well, who's the other old man it could be? And I was like, like racking my brains and like what other old man is she encountered that could be the murderer? And I love that. Like, like I was really like in the lurch. I was like, OK, how the fuck is this movie going to like come around from that? Like because I was I was thinking like this is a really cool idea. But how is this going to affect the end? You know, how's the end game going to come about? In the best way, frankly. Well, I loved how it does. In in a way, 
<laughs> I'm not. I'm still not quite sold on whether it's the best way. I am. But let's let's <laughs> let's let's talk about it. Because uh, yeah. I. And one of the reasons why I'm kind of unsure on how I feel about this in the context of of the film is that, like, the last 15 minutes of this movie becomes, like, pure schlock in a way that I was not expecting from <laughs> what I considered an otherwise pretty, uh, pretty tight and engaging, like, well-written film. And it's like... I won't say that I didn't enjoy the final 15 minutes. It feels I like did. the most Edgar Wright section of the film. It feels yeah. like a different movie. I loved it. And, and yeah. it kind of was not the ending that I hoped for. Anyway, she she decides, Ellie decides, like, I this is too much. Like, after after Terrence Stamp gets hit, gets hit by the car... And she's questioning everything. It's like, this is too much. I gotta go back home to Cornwall. Like, I, I can't stay in London. London has defeated me. So, uh, John is like, well, I'll take you back to your house to get your stuff and then, like, drive you drive you home. And Can uh, I just mention the fact that John had a car? The whole be- time. Because the joke was... Oh, that's uh, such a good thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> he's that's from, good... what, South he's from London? from South London, yeah. And uh, moving to uh, uh, North London was just a big life event for him. I, yeah, I love that. Well, like, earlier... <laughs> it's sort of believable for, like, a college-age student, earlier, too. Earlier like, in the movie, like, when they're talking, is like, oh, like, oh, where are you from? She's like, oh, I'm from, I'm from the country. I'm from Cornwall, and... He's like, yeah, like I, I moving to London can be like really overwhelming. Like I, I totally understand. She's like, where are you from? He's like, well, South London. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, the the joke is later. She's like, wait, you have a car? And he's like, well, yeah. How am I supposed to get from South London to North London? <laughs> um, which is a, a, a was a pretty good joke. But yeah, she goes back to get her stuff, and she she goes to talk to the landlady to try to get her deposit back. And it is then revealed that the landlady, the old lady, was is is Sandy. So all, all along. Sandy didn't there was, get, Sandy didn't get murdered. I was I was met by a multitude of feelings uh during this sequence. And it started with disappointment. She sits her down, she has a cup of tea, and she says to her, like, oh the police came around, blah blah blah, sets it up. I was like oh shit wait what's going on here like clearly like this is this is she's starting to villain monologue what's going on and um when she says like sandy died a lot of times in that room i was almost disappointed for a moment i was like oh you know like okay so like then the the reality we were shown was not the reality like okay so we weren't really given the tools that we could have needed to solve solve the mystery but then when she says Many times, and then she she explains that she kept murdering people. I was immediately back on board when it, when it's revealed that like she's like a fucking mass murderer, like like she has killed like all of like her uh, her Johns, like she's just murdered all of them and putting fu- them and under putting the them in the walls, words. which rules because like our uh, ridiculous, like it, it's it's wild, but I don't at that point who fucking cares? Absolutely it's fun, ridiculous. Like it's it's great because like our our for our character because like she like can kind of like pick like her whole deal is like she can kind of pick up on those psychic vibes you know like she can hear those memories so the idea of her moving into this like fucking like house that has like corpses like all in the fucking walls and shit like and they're all just like feeding her like like fucking like dark psychic energy the whole time was really fun for me like it's a it's a it's a fucking wild hoot but like 
outside of the the fucking weird X Men shit, just I totally I totally called the old lady being Sandy all along. Hell yeah, like, I, good I, for I, you, man. I, you should be able to, and that, the, that's that's why it works. The, the moment the moment I called it is when she's first looking at the room, and the old lady is like. It's like, oh yeah, I used to work here back in the sixties. Oh yeah, I used yeah. to work here back here. I used to work here back in those days, and ah, then I yeah. bought the house. And I was like, fr- I was like, as soon as she said, that, I'm like, it's Anya Taylor Joy. Um, Interesting. And, and I mean, like, I like I kind of got turned away from that. Like when we have the scene of like Matt Smith murdering her, because I was like, oh well, I guess that's out the window. But then it comes back around and. I will say, I, I think that uh, you, you said she starts villain monologuing, and she does, and I don't love how exposition-y that is. I, there was a really nice moment where she says, uh, when, when she lets Ellie in, she's like, oh, I grabbed one of your letters on accident. It's there in the pile. And as Ellie's flipping through it to get to hers, yes. you can see on the letter that it says Alexandra, Alexandra Collins. Mm-hmm. And I caught that when she was going through and I was like, I was like, oh yes, I was right. And then once she starts monologuing, then they do like a close-up of the letter that says Alexandra yeah. Collins. I was like, come on. No, 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 no. See, here's the thing. I missed that. Like when they did it, I really fucking appreciated that they they cut back to it. Like, well, yeah, I mean, because it's the kind of thing that like you would miss, and that's why I wish they didn't. Because like they're telling us that it is say, that it is. No, 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 that's that's classic noir though. Like, like that's the big reveal where like like they give you the pieces of information that you've been led up through like this whole time, and like they 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 bring it back and like they bring it back. But around. that's it was cool. it, it, that's the kind of detail that I would have of... liked because they're they're literally in the exposition telling you who she. is. Is so the fact like I wish they had not. I wish they had. No, why do they need to show it if they're also telling you? Like that would have been one of those nice touches that on 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 rewatches you see her flipping through is like ah there it is there you can spot it. Well, I feel like this movie does that quite a few times where it you know cross references Mm -hmm. like Lindsay for example is another example that. But like in the words of the famous director Billy Wilder. Uh, subtlety is a nice tool. You just have to slap your viewers in the face with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like that. And, you know, I was a viewer that needed to be slapped in the face with it. Like, I, uh, I, I really appreciated, like, it coming back around to that. Because, like, no, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'm, I'm happy to be honest about this. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. For me, it was, it was very gratifying to, uh... I- I don't. I don't mind that as the reveal. I. I think that like what I. What I would have wanted more from this movie, just based on like how the rest of the film was, is I think I would have. I would have liked the ending to be a little more like understated. With like, I, I think it's fine that that the lady, the old lady, the landlord was Sandy all along. I think that that's fine. I. I, I don't mind that as a reveal. Cool. But like, I think it would have been more interesting for her to have like been stuck living in this house because like she was never able to like escape that trauma and that she's just been kind of forced to live with it and like the the decision to make her a serial killer 
is where I think it started to go off the rails a little bit. Like it's it's hokey it's hokey fun, but it's it's not what the rest of this movie was giving me. Like I think it would have been fine hmm. if like Matt Smith was trying to murder her, she gets the knife and stabs him. Like I like that. And that she's been unable to leave the place where that happened because like that's where a part of her died. And so she's like kind of living here in this house as a ghost with the ghosts of like that that negative time in her life and i think that would have been an an interesting sort of contemplative way for her to like share that wisdom with mm. ellie and end the movie and then instead it's just like no but she killed matt smith and then she also killed every single man who oh, came up I to like her that, room though. and then shoved Ooh, them no. in the ceiling and the floor mm. and then i, uh, see, I disagree and like, now she's I, I trying to kill if, ellie if it, had, if it had ended there the house catches on fire no 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 but see that was my whole problem it's like when she said the part where like ellie died in that room that night i was thinking like oh fuck this is gonna be mad pretentious and like apropos of nothing because it shows us otherwise but like that again comes around with the reward of her killing all those people like because it's like oh wait no she's a villain and frankly if it had stopped there i would have been mad disappointed like i would have been i would have been fucking bummed out at this movie for like going with a pretentious route i think it was the only way to go with with that kind of ending i I don't know like i'm somewhere in the middle between you two here on this one like i think the ending was kind of sloppy and messy personally but yes it also had maybe my favorite sequence of the movie where anya taylor joy is walking up the stairs oh, so and singing at thomas you, you can't you can't get that out like it's so good like um and, and, well, and like she's stabbing the stairs from almost the fire yeah well, it's it's fun it's, like visually it's well, cool like it's, that's why i'm i'm on the fence well, what's about neat it. too is like like she's and she's stabbing the steps and it's like a mirror you know like like breaking she's breaking the mirror yeah. which is cool but also the warp effect is an effect like from the 60s that they would use in film like like uh you know like like that that camera warping effect um and like all the way up through into the 90s um one of my favorite examples of it is uh in like uh like there were several muppet films that would use it in a fun <laughs> way like i i always love that kind of like camera yeah. it, you, you know what it is it's the it's the intro to to the cabin fever song in muppet treasure island which is like my favorite instance of it where like yeah it's leading and like oh we're good i've got i've got cabin fever and like like all that bit but anyway listen but it was really fun on the flip side let me i'll I'll finish this thought quick uh on the flip side i do think it's very sloppy a great example of how sloppy it is is like sandy gives ellie sleeping pills in her tea and it's supposed to you know knock her out and for the rest of the scene, she isn't affected by this whatsoever. No, 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 no. She is. She very much is. She's she's fucking crawling up the stairs. She can barely get away from her yeah, until she crawls into the room, she, into the bed, and then the 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 ghosts give her the 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 support that she needs to fucking get past it. And I okay, love that the the dead psychic energy. Yes. It rules. At this point, it we need that gratification. It's sloppy where the no, rest no, no, no. of the it's, movie is very it's, tight. It's kind of corny. It's I don't think it's, it's sloppy. I think I think it's it's a little corny, but it's man, it's my kind of corny. Like I I loved it. Like schlocky. Like if listen, if the last fifteen minutes wasn't so technically well executed and fun, I would have straight up hated it. The fact that it was enjoyable to watch is why I'm on the fence about it because. 
tonally and in terms of consistency, it does not match the rest of this movie. It takes where it takes the the tracks that this movie was on and goes completely off the rails with it, but in hmm. a way that is still fun. And I will say there is a part of me that there's a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth from taking a character like Sandy who was taken advantage of and abused and forced into prostitution and turning her into a slasher villain. Here's the thing. Turning her into a slasher villain. Here's why it works for me. Because she was given an out. That is the moment that breaks the dream. When, When she is talking to our vice character. And it is so important for... Ellie to see that she breaks the cycle there that she breaks through the mirror and she doesn't right like that's the moment where it becomes her choice and and that that's why it works I mean like, it's her, like, it's like, her like, choice because she's been crushed by her circumstances like she's been driven down into the and ground. she has an out and she's handed one by the vice guy he's not handing her an out he's saying you should get out of this he's not offering to help her out of it he's not offering. He is, no he's not he literally just says you should get out of this while you have the chance he, You're and, and, and then this. she keeps saying no to him. And like that's why Ellie breaks down the mirror because she's 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 saying like no you can you can like and and she keeps denying it. Like like so she, yes, she is. She absolutely is. Like that's that's the whole point of that scene. That's why Ellie like gets angry and breaks the mirror there. And then like that's where we're brought out of that sequence. Part of me feels like her circumstances lead her to believe that she isn't able to because we see multiple scenes before that scene where she's trying to run away, where she's trying to walk away from it yeah. and is berated and abused by Matt Smith's character. Yeah, she's she's know? broken. The Absolutely. Cop, the, cop, the cop is not offering her anything. Yeah. The cop is telling her, you're better than this, leave it. But at that point, she has already been so beaten down, both physically and like spiritually and emotionally, that she is not able to leave. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's well, I don't think that and that's, that's just what makes a like choice that she made right and that's what makes her rounded as a character right like like she's she's been through these horrible things and like there's there's deep sympathy for her and also she's murdered all these but people but at the end they t- like, but at the end they like, turned her into a cartoon villain. I don't think so because like if they turned her into a cartoon villain they would have had Ellie like fucking like stab her she would have like fallen through the floor into hell or something like instead like there was a moment where Ellie tries to say to her like hey like it's okay you can come with me too and she's still like she says no and she sits down and she just burns in the house like like there isn't like a moment where like ellie says like you have no power over me and breaks her and breaks the mirror or any shit like that like she just sits down on the bed and fucking burns to death and and i think that works again that's another point where it felt a little messy for me just because ellie goes out of her way to stop her from slitting her own throat and then she just leaves her to 
kill herself in a different death. way. Well, yeah. well, that's because like and, that's that's for Ellie though, right? Like Ellie is pure. She's good. Like she she tries to stop her from doing that because like that is also like not the like the right path. Like she Ellie is different from her. That's like Ellie say like like making her point that she is not like just like the same person in the mirror, right? That's what Ellie needs to do. Like that's that's Ellie's proving moment, if anything. You know, like even after learning all of that after all the rest of it, she still stops her from killing herself. And she says, like, no, we can get you help. We can do whatever else like that. And then she is forced in a position outside of her agency where she has to get out of the burning building. And it becomes Sandy's choice yeah. to die there. And she allows herself to burn to death. That works really well for me. I don't think that's sloppy at all. Part of me just wishes they would have both died in the fire oh, if no. they would have gone with a bit more of a downer ending oh no that would have been edgy like for what but then like what is earned yeah, like what is what is yeah like that. like that's that seems needlessly edgy i get tired of that in horror where it's like oh well this is the genre so it's gotta have a sad ending it's well, like I mean, no no, no. like mean, like you need to earn your ending think, like right like what seems right for the character is is kind of needlessly edgy like we turn Sandy into the serial killing monster and then kill her off immediately. Well, I mean, like, we'll, we'll know, like, a- like she, she, she lives like an entire lifetime, like outside of the law. Like she got away with it, dude. Like I'm talking about in the narrative of the film, we introduce yeah, that we introduce that she's a monster and then kill her off five, ten minutes later. It just feels a little... But as an old woman, like, you know, like, I, I don't... Like, like again, like, keep in mind, like, like what the film is telling us is that, like, she she did... She lived her whole fucking life, you know, like, like afterwards. Sure. I'm um, talking about the narrative progression of the movie. Uh-huh. It's a 10-minute yeah, period but, but two Let's include for our viewers who haven't seen the movie that, like, after that, like, we get, we get like, a, like, a positive resolution where, like, Ellie gets out of all of that. Like, she's able to, like... You know, like stand on the shoulders like of of the past and 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 have her own life again. And she's able to like make it through Soho. She's able to finish her her time that she didn't think she was able to because like until she was going to that house, like her plan was to leave. Her plan was to get out of all of it. And she's able to stick around. And her teacher says, you know, like I believed in you. And, you know, her grandma I, comes to visit and like it's very upbeat. I, I don't think that's what Ben is saying, though. I think Ben is saying what feels weird is that a character who we have gotten to know one way throughout an hour and a half an hour 40 minutes of the movie is turned into something completely different in the span of 10 minutes and then immediately killed off like that it it is it is a very strange jarring acceleration and twist of a character and then just sort of like an abrupt cut. Like it's in hmm. in terms of like the pacing and the structure of the film, it is strange. And it I mean, feels it feels weird. I'm not saying that it's necessarily bad, but it feels weird and it also feels rushed. Yeah, well, and to put such a nice bow on Ellie's story and then have such a kind of stark ending to Sandy's story is just kind of weird to me like you'd think i would almost feel like she would escape too because the baggage of all this past trauma and abuse is burning away with 
you know, the history of the building. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think something like that could have happened if they hadn't have made her like a serial killer. Like if she killed Matt, if she just killed Matt Smith and that was it, then I think there would have been space for redemption, which I think her character did kind of need but yeah. turning, but turning her into a serial killer, I think sort of removed the ability for her to be truly redeemed. I, I will say where the ending did win me over a little bit and it won me over only because it set up something that I was about to really, really hate and then didn't do it is when the house is on fire and Ellie goes into her room and she's like surrounded by like all the, the faceless ghosts of like the men that Sandy killed. And like the, one of them is like, is like kill her. Yeah. And she doesn't. Right. That's her redemption. like, Like, like exactly. Yeah. Whose redemption? Ellie's or like Ellie, not her redemption, but her, her past through the trial. Yeah. I'm talking about Sandy doesn't get redemption. I didn't say that Ellie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, I I got you now. I got you. Um, But yes, the the fact that that the fact that then Ellie says, like, no, I'm not going to do that is where it felt like it started to veer back onto the right path for me, because like when they were doing that, when it's like you have to kill her so you can free all of us, I was about to be like, really? Are we really going to, like, turn the abuse victim into even more of a monster? No. And, like, yeah. and, like save the abusers? Like, I thought that no, that's what they were the line. Going, I thought that that's what they were going to do, and then they didn't do that, but I can't give it too much kudos for that, because they set up the thing that I was afraid they were going to do, and then we're like, nope, we're not going to do that. So, like, they could have just removed that completely. Uh, one Interesting. one I, little editing bit that I've really liked is when they're having this pivotal moment between Sandy and Ellie and they're having this kind of discussion while the flames are burning all around them. Mm. You get a very quick cut downstairs <laughs> to John. Oh yeah, we all laughed. No, I, I I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> well, and it's it's almost needed too because you know you see all of these it is. literal Johns upstairs, right? Yeah, uh, as kind of reflections of trauma and kind of Sandy's projections of evil, I guess you could say in some respects. And to see him as kind of a wholesome good character just laying there. He's mm-hmm. he's the he's the one good John. Yeah. Um, yeah. It feels like a nice juxtaposition. Mm-hmm, it we- does. Well and that's the thing is like like here's what I like about it is like this is where the mirror is broken, right? Ellie is our good character. She is our protagonist. And Sandy is the villain. Like, Sandy is the bad person. Like, we have been led to believe that she was good. But she chose... Like, here's the thing. It is not saying that all women who go through this position are bad. And I think we, I think that's that's a really important distinction to make here, right? Like, like there are plenty of, of good people who are led into this kind of position and, you know, like are, and have no out and, and have no whatever else like that, but it's not a monolith situation. Okay. Like, like this is, this is specifically Sandy and this situation, Sandy was led into this position and she chose to murder all of her Johns, which is not a good thing to do. That's the villain reveal of the movie. At that point, the mirror is broken. Ellie is a good person and Ellie comes out of it and she takes and she learns how to take the good from those things, but not the bad. 
And, and, and she learns from then on out. And that's why that all works for me in like, no, like Sandy doesn't necessarily gain like full redemption. The only redemption she gains is like letting Ellie leave. You know, she does say like to Ellie, like choose life after she'd poisoned her. Yeah, after she poisoned yeah. her and was like, going to kill her. Like, like because, because of what Ellie had said to her. And that works to me. So that's, that's my piece on it. What did, what was your guys' take on the very last sequence of the movie? After uh, she has kind of her, uh, Ellie has her redemptive kind of fashion show. She goes to the back and her grandmother and John are congratulating her. And she looks in the mirror and she sees a reflection of her mother. For the first time since the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then she sees uh, Sandy. 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 She goes up and taps her finger on the mirror. She does at the same time. I loved it because because, again, it's what I just said. It's she is she has come through the fire. Right. In this case, literally like like she's come through her trials and she has learned how to take the good from it and and how to avoid the bad. Like she is not just said like because here's the thing. Right. Like like what's what's the whole like crux of this movie? What is said so many times? I love the 60s. Right. Like and it's saying. When looking at the past, we can take the good and the bad. There is no reason to be binary about it. Like, you you can enjoy the good elements of the 60s, the music, the style, the whatever else like that. And then also acknowledge the sexism. You can also acknowledge, like, all the horrible stuff. There's no reason, like, that you can't make peace with that. And her doing that, like, tapping the mirror there is her making peace. And it works really well for me. See uh, what, like, what and, and to me, like it says, like in a very short span of time, what like four seasons of Mad Men tried to say. What makes it confusing for me is, I think yes, with the last ten minutes, she is kind of a personification of the bad of the '60s, but throughout the rest of the movie, she's a personification of trauma, and to see her shown in such a way like this, like it almost implies there's kind of a reflection of trauma there or kind of a, you know, a repetition there that kind of becomes a little confusing with Here's, that 10 minutes. I have another response to that. Here's the intent. Earlier in the podcast, I made a note about the, the scene very early on where Ellie is talking with her roommates and the roommate says, uh, oh, I had an uncle who, you know, also committed suicide or whatever. Like, I understand. When Ellie is drinking tea with Sandy, she says the same thing to her, and Sandy laughs. I got a real chuckle out of that. It is once again playing the thing where, like, it's been flipped around. Like, like the it's been flipped around on onto Sandy there, where she's saying like, "Oh, I can relate," but she can't. That's the whole fucking point, right? Like, like we can't necessarily relate with each other's experiences in that capacity. We can we can make attempts and like we can we have similarities, but it's never one to one. And that's OK. Like we can still make make strides to relate and we should still do that. The fact that that Sandy takes it the way she does, like is is a, is a negative, which is really cool. Like um, and, and so like it, it, it again, like it, it makes it a discussion. It doesn't make it binary. And I love that, like, about the movie. Like, and and, and it, to, it, really like, it also, like, drives on the awareness of it. Like, like it is definitely by, like, there is definitely intent in that. Yeah. Also. 
Because like she says the same thing as like that dramatic moment, like or that that comedic moment much earlier in the film. Yeah, like it, it's a, it's a, the other it's a callback. That sequence didn't work for me personally super well. I think the That's okay. the the fashion show kind of wrapped things up a little too cleanly for me. Yeah, you know, I I, I almost think of like the ending of Repulsion and how fucking bleak it is, and compared to like how much of a nice little bow this movie has. <laughs> I appreciate. It's like, Honestly, Jesus Christ. Here's the here's the thing. Like like yes, Repulsion ends with like like the most downery way like possible, and that's what's needed for Repulsion. Yeah. Right. But this movie, like, and and for Ellie's character, thank God for me. Like, like I, I, I'm saying, like, thank God it ended. Like, like, like Ellie deserved it. Like, she needed that sweet ending, and I, I was very grateful to have that. Um, I don't have a problem with Ellie having a happy ending. Like that, that doesn't so much bother me. I, I didn't particularly love the epilogue of this movie. It felt a little on the nose uh, with like the fashion show, like. With her bit being set to like a dubstep cover of Downtown, that was that was weird. No, no, no. She's trying to take um, the best from the past. I mean, like, I, I get it. Yeah. But I I get it, but I don't like it. That's like, okay. Um, I loved it. It's, <laughs> I don't know if I would advocate for it ending just like with her being pulled out of the fire, where it does kind of do a false ending, where like it goes to black, and I thought that was going to be it. Like I like I like to see it's like, hey, she despite all this bad shit. She was able to go back to fashion school and graduate, and like her grandma's proud of her. Cool. Like I, I, I think that that's I think that's nice, but I don't know. Just like the 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 way it was done didn't I, I didn't find super effective. I, mean, I think it's fine. She sees Sandy in the mirror. It's like after all of that, like Sandy's always going to be a part of her. Like it's just like just like her mother. You know, her mother's been dead for like 10 years or more and you know she's still a part of her she still sees her in the mirror so like sandy's the same way do y'all think it's very similar to the ending of the babadook because i thought it was like i i it reminded uh, me of that like we're like the babadook is st- always still there your trauma yeah, is always of, still there and kind of i love that i didn't i didn't make that connection but kind of i think i i like the way that it's handled in the babadook much better hmm. um but I also like that film better in general. Mm. Uh, I think the, the end of the Babadook is a little more heavy-handed. I think mm. it's like it's like chained there. You know, it's it's it's, it's shorter. It's shorter and sweeter. Mm. Um, there are less components to the Babadook. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we should mention before we rate, uh, or, or I would like to mention at least that uh, that old Sandy, Sandy is an old woman, is played by Diana Rigg, who died. Uh, in September of last year, I think this was oh. her last film. Mm. Um, she was a Bond girl, which I think is mm. funny because uh, wait, was she? In, she wasn't in Thunderball. She was, was not she? in Thunderball. No, okay. she was in. She was the Bond girl in On Her Majesty's Secret Good Service. Service. Oh the, shit, the George Lazenby one. Yeah, um, but uh, also like. Uh, more recently, she was she was Elena Tyrell in Game of Thrones because yes. who remembers that? <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I mean, she she, I she mean, gives an incredible in performance yeah, in that. She's good like, in that. Again, like all the problems with Game of Thrones aside, like there are some incredible performances sure. in there, and like hers is one. Like like hers yeah. is Lady Tyrell is is what frankly one of the the best last like the last good things about the show. Like I would even go as far as to yeah. say, would you agree? Like, like, like her performance there as Lady probably. Tyrell is like probably one of the best. Like when she's talking to her uh, when she she takes the poison from uh, Jamie. Yeah, when she takes the poison from Jamie, I, I really like that scene. Like I thought it was really effective. Do you know how you lose Jamie, in the though. Game of Thrones? 
you watch it. <laughs> Honestly. Damn, kind of true, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there are a lot of great things to take away from it, but man, that fucking ending. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to rate this. Or, or last season. I, I'm yeah. going to rate this. I, I liked... I liked most of this movie a lot, uh, and I kind of didn't like the ending, but uh, I at least thought it was fun. Um, it, it was it was a, a, a good, fun, little schlocky ten minutes at the end of a, an otherwise, I thought, pretty intelligent and tightly paced movie. Uh, four out of five. Yeah, I, I think this movie is great. I, I as someone who's you know, who has repulsion in their top 10 horror movies of all time. Like this movie hit all the right buttons for me. All the colors were great. I do agree. The ending is a little messy for my tastes and I I would have loved to see it approached slightly differently, but it is fun. And some of the best sequences are in that time. So I, I give it a bit of a pass for that. Um, I'm going to give it a four out of five, too. I think you should really check it out if you have the chance. Oh, yeah. Definitely a, a recommendation on this mm-hmm. one, for sure. Well, uh, uh, I I came out of this one really excited. I feel I feel really good about our discussion about it, too. I think I think everybody brought, you know, brought some really nice things to the table. Um, uh, that said, uh, out of all of that, I, I still... I still feel really hot on it, um, uh, powerfully so, even. It feels largely preferential, uh, but I, I'm still feeling like I, I can't... There's nothing I would want to see differently like about, about the ending sequence for, for me personally. Um, like I know it, it's kind of schlocky, it's kind of like... It's, it's loud, um, but I, I like the loudness of it. it. It reminded me a lot of like classic noir and, and, uh, those are all things I love. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a fucking five. I, yeah. I, I felt, I felt really good about it. And again, too, I watched it like an hour ago that might change over time, but, but coming out of it and like getting a nice chance to like talk about it with my boys. Um, I still feel like a five. I still feel like a five on this movie. Yeah, dude. No, oh, yeah. Well, uh, that'll give Last Night in Soho an average of 4.3 out of 5. Um, yeah, that, Solid I mean, rating. Yeah, yeah, hit this one. Uh, it was, it, it's a good movie. Yeah. I, I really liked a lot of it. Um, well, we did predict out. this one. Yeah, let's get our, um, our numbies. So, okay, Tease, you predicted for Rotten Tomatoes, you predicted this would get an 80. Mm. Cleve, you predicted an 88. That's about that. And I predicted a ninety. Oh shit! You right now, this is sitting at a seventy-three. Oh shit! Tease, ah! got really? Tease that surprises God. That out. one as well. Uh, okay, so Tease, you said it was a four. <laughs> Cleve, you said it was a four point three, and I said a four point five. So you got well, Cleve it got right it on the money. Oh, shit! Yeah. Nice. Spot on. Right on. Right on. Spot on. Um, Hell yeah. Next week, we have uh, another, yet another new movie. <laughs> they just keep coming. They just keep on coming. Um, this is, I think this is our last one for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Antlers is finally coming out. And, <laughs> man, I got to tell you, if it's bad after seeing all these trailers, it's going to give me an antlerism. Oh, yeah, no. Man, you and me both. I... <laughs> I 
deeply, deeply want this movie to be good. You're going to be disappointed, Doc. Uh, but I probably... I'm worried. I'm worried for you. I mean, you. I, l- listen, like, I want it to be good, but frankly, after all this time, my expectations are kind of lowered. Um, Same. I think, it, I think it has a lot of potential. I... I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just fucking desperate for, like, a good modern, like, monster movie. And I think this has potential to be that, but maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll see. We'll find out. Next week is our uh, our review of Antlers. Uh, So uh, come back and check it out. Uh, we did a pseudo sponsor earlier, but we got another. Oh, oh we, well, we, yeah, we we did that. Uh, yeah, this episode is brought to you by uh, the delicious, pissful taste of Coors Light. Oh, okay. Well, uh, this episode is brought to you by a sandwich with a little too much mayonnaise. Have you ever just uh, had a sandwich, taken a big old bite, and uh, it's just been dry in your mouth? It's been like it's like it's just the Gobi Desert, you know, up in there. Like it's just like what what even is a sandwich? Am I just eating paste? Well, now you Not can have. One. Yeah, have the the McCumbucket or whatever it's called the the fucking sandwich with so much fucking mayo in it that it's just <laughs> fucking <laughs> some nasty shit. All right, can we can we move on, please? The McCumbucket. There you yeah, go. Uh, if uh, God, I, I regret everything. All right. <laughs> if you like the show, uh, then head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star rating and a nice little review. Uh, that'll help us work our way up in the numbers and uh, get into more people's ears, which is a good thing, right? I I sure think so. Uh, you can also become a subscriber on Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Thanks, as always, to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon and Sarah Morris. We love and appreciate you guys and your support. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod and on letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod. That's right. Uh, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at Some Spooky Snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And Cleveland is taking a piss, so he does not get to get his plugs on this episode because he just couldn't <laughs> wait. So, uh, you know, find him on Dread XP, Light Arc Studio. We've got uh, the next chapter of our game, It Stares Back, coming out soon. You should just copy his plug from the last episode and paste it in (laughs) right here. Uh, Well, uh, yeah, uh, Cleve's the piss boy. uh, And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We love you guys. uh, And uh, keep on dancing and murdering and whatever last night in Soho. Downtown. Downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help. Brighter there, you can't.